Welcome to Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators with Jordan Donnell. This is a safe place to learn about women's health and sexual wellness. I'm your host, Jordan Donnell, physician assistant, women's sexual health educator, and intimacy coach. On today's episode, we are covering human immunodeficiency virus, better known as HIV. One in seven living with HIV are unaware of their infection, and one in nine women living with HIV are unaware of their infection. By the end of this episode, you will have a better understanding about the history behind HIV, how it is spread, how often you should be screened, and how to prevent HIV. This is the fifth episode in our series about infections of the genital tract. Before we get started, I have a special offer for you. I have created the ultimate guide to foreplay with hot tips and tricks to spice it up. Get your copy of my ultimate guide to foreplay by going to foreplay.vaginasvulvasandvibrators.com. Hope you enjoy my bonus gift to you. You can also find the link in the bio. Who remembers learning about HIV or human immunodeficiency virus? I will tell you that either medicine has really advanced in the last 15 years, or my school gave the typical sex ed talk and did not share all the information. So get ready for your refresher, or for some, this will be the first time you have heard about HIV. Like I always like to do, I like to give you a little bit of history behind everything so that you can have a better, complete understanding So let's start with the history of HIV. HIV infections came from a type of chimpanzee in Central Africa. It is believed that the chimpanzee version of the virus, SIV, was passed to humans back when the humans were hunting chimpanzee for meat and came into contact with infected blood. Some studies show that HIV may have jumped from chimpanzees to humans as early as the late 1800s. It is known that the virus existed in the U.S. since at least the mid to late 1970s. In the U.S., HIV was first described in 1981 when numerous young homosexual men presented with opportunistic infections that at the time were typically associated with severe immune deficiency. The two infections that they had mentioned in this article was pneumocystis pneumonia, which is PCP pneumonia, and aggressive Kaposky's sarcoma. HIV was not identified for another two years after these men had presented. HIV is a blood-borne virus that weakens a person's immune system by destroying the cells that fight diseases and infection. It is transmitted when blood, semen, rectal fluids, vaginal fluids, or breast milk of an infected individual are transmitted into the bloodstream of a person who is HIV negative. It is typically transmitted via sexual intercourse, shared IV drug needles, and mother-to-child transmission during birth or with breastfeeding. HIV cannot be transmitted through saliva, sweat, sneezes, or skin-to-skin contact. 
The other genital tract infections that we've talked about in the past episodes have been parasites or bacteria. HIV is different in that it is a retrovirus. A retrovirus is a type of virus that uses a special enzyme to translate the virus's genetic information into the DNA of the host cell that it invades. This results in the altering of the genetic makeup of the cell, and now that cell replicates or copies or duplicates the virus. There are two types of HIV. There's HIV-1 and HIV-2. HIV-2 is more common in Africa. It's pretty rare in developed countries and has a slightly lower risk of transmission and tends to progress more slowly to acquired immune deficiency syndrome or AIDS. People with HIV-2 tend to have a lower viral load than people with HIV-1, which that becomes kind of important when we talk about transmission. Viruses are different from bacteria, and that is important to understand how infections work. So bacterial infections typically can be treated with antibiotics, where viruses are not treatable with antibiotics, and the virus hides inside the cells of the body and poses a challenge to the immune system. Other viruses you might have heard of are human papillomavirus, or HPV, which we're going to talk about coming up, herpes, or uh, HSV, coronavirus, which right now we are dealing with the coronavirus pandemic, so I'm sure most of you have heard of that. Then there's also shingles or chickenpox. There are so many other viruses out there, but those are kind of some of the common ones you might have heard of. When it comes to HIV, there are three stages. When people do not get treated for HIV, they typically will progress through all three stages. But HIV medication can slow or prevent progression of the disease. The first phase of HIV is the acute seroconversion. During this phase, some people may experience flu-like symptoms such as fevers, chills, rash, night sweats, muscle aches, sore throat, fatigue, swollen lymph nodes, or even mouth ulcers. Not all people will experience those symptoms or any of those symptoms. If you experience symptoms, they're typically going to be seen about two to four weeks after infection. This is the body's natural response to infection. These symptoms may only last for a few days or several weeks. And keep in mind, these symptoms do not mean that you have HIV. There are so many other causes of similar symptoms. And again, not everyone's going to experience any symptoms at all. So if you think about it, fevers, chills, sore throat, fatigue, muscle aches. That sounds like the flu. That sounds like coronavirus. That sounds like, um, could even be a common cold. It could be strep throat. I mean, you name it. Could be mono, mononucleosis. Epstein-Barr, I mean, all those things all present the same way. During this stage, people have large amounts of the HIV viral load in their blood, which makes them very contagious. The second phase is the asymptomatic infection phase. This is also known as clinical latency or chronic HIV infection. During this phase, 
HIV is still active, but reproduces at low levels. You are still able to transmit or spread HIV in this phase. If you take HIV medication or the HIV treatment as prescribed, you may never move into the next stage. However, if you do not take the HIV medication during this phase, it may last about a decade or even longer. But in some individuals, the disease process will be faster and they will develop stage three sooner. During the second phase, people may not have any symptoms or get sick. Towards the end of the clinical latency phase, the amount of HIV in the blood or the viral load goes up and the CD4 cell count, which is what they use to kind of monitor the impact of the HIV infection, the CD4 cell count goes down. So as the virus level increases in the body, an individual may develop symptoms and then the person then moves into stage three. The last phase or stage three or phase three of the HIV infection is when it develops into AIDS or acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. And this is going to be when HIV is left untreated most times. This is the most severe phase of HIV infection. People with AIDS have very badly damaged immune systems, and that causes them to get an increased number of severe illnesses called opportunistic infections. By definition, HIV has advanced to AIDS when either the CD4 cell count drops below 200 or if they develop certain opportunistic infections. People with AIDS have high viral loads and are very contagious. Without treatment, people with AIDS typically survive about three years. There are no physical findings that are specific to HIV infection. You cannot look at an individual and know that they have HIV or AIDS. One in seven living with HIV are unaware of their infection, and one in nine women with HIV are unaware of their infection. In 2018, there was 37,968 new HIV diagnoses in the United States. Of those, 69% of those were among gay, bisexual, or other men who have sex with men. 24% of those were among heterosexuals, and 7% were among people who injected drugs. When you look at racial disparities when it comes to HIV, African Americans and Hispanics or Latinos are largely disproportionately affected by HIV in the 2018 statistics. African Americans accounted for 42% of new HIV diagnoses, and they are 13% of the population while Hispanics or Latinos accounted for 27% of the new HIV diagnoses and are 18% of the population. People who have other sexually transmitted infections are more likely to get HIV when compared to people who do not have STIs. There's a couple of reasons for this. One is the behaviors that put someone at risk for one infection often put them at risk for other infections 
like not using condoms, multiple partners, anonymous partners, things like that. When someone gets an STD, it suggests that they got it from someone else who may be at risk for other STDs and HIV. Therefore, sexually transmitted infection and HIV tend to be linked. Another reason why people who have sexually transmitted infections are more likely to get HIV is because a sore or inflammation from a sexually transmitted infection may allow for infection with HIV that would have normally been stopped by intact skin. So a person who is infected with herpes simplex virus type 2 or genital herpes is at three times increased risk of acquiring HIV infection. So anytime you do have a treatable sexually transmitted infection, you're going to want to make sure you get that treated. And if you look back to some of the other episodes, we've talked about how spermicide actually increases your risk of getting HIV because it can cause some of that inflammation as well. One fact I found interesting when putting this episode together is that there is little to no risk of getting or transmitting HIV from oral sex. Theoretically, transmission of HIV is possible if an HIV positive man ejaculates into his partner's mouth during oral sex. However, the risk is very low and is much lower than that of anal or vaginal sex. If you have oral ulcers, bleeding gums, genital sores, or other sexually transmitted infections, that does increase your risk of transmitting HIV through oral sex. Interestingly enough, receptive anal sex is the riskiest type of sex for getting HIV. Some other risk factors for getting HIV are having anal, vaginal, or oral sex without a condom, multiple sexual partners, anonymous sexual partners, sex while under the influence of drugs or alcohol, because that can lower inhibitions and results in greater increased sexual risk. Something else that I learned when putting this episode together is that HIV is more common than I expected. There is only one way to know if you have HIV and it is to get tested. Currently, CDC recommendations are that every individual should be screened at least once in their lifetime between the age of 13 and 64. However, for individuals that are at higher risk, the CDC does recommend more frequent testing. No testing method can detect HIV immediately after infection. There is a window period or a time between when a person may have been exposed until when their test can tell whether that person has the virus. This window period varies from person to person and also the type of test. Most tests used to screen for HIV are antibody tests, and it can take up to 90 days to detect HIV infection after exposure with most antibody tests. Now, if you think about antibody testing, that has been kind of in the media a lot lately when we talk about COVID and coronavirus, and it takes the body time to build that immune response and build the antibodies that they're screening for, which is why there's that delay. At this time, there is no effective cure for HIV, but with proper medical care, HIV can be controlled. 
This is a really big change to what I grew up with. I remember when I was in school, they had talked about, um, at that time, there just really wasn't any medications that I remember, or they kind of bypassed that. It's hard to say. But I think this is a huge advancement in medicine from when I first learned about HIV. Now, a person with HIV who takes the antiretroviral therapy, or ART, they call it, A-R-T, as prescribed, can essentially reduce their viral load, and that effectively means no risk of sexually transmitting HIV to an HIV-negative partner. Most people can get the virus under control within six months of starting ART. That's pretty awesome. I think that's super awesome, and that's why getting tested so that you know what your status is is so important because there there is something that you can do to prevent the spread if you know that you have it. You know, if you're that one in seven or one in nine who are unaware that they have the disease. The only 100% effective way to avoid STDs and HIV is to not have vaginal, anal, or oral sex. However, to limit your risk, choose less risky behaviors, use condoms for every single sexual act throughout the entire act, and limit your number of partners. You know, of course, abstinence is going to be the most effective method, but the reality is that's just not going to be the right option for many people. When putting this together, I learned about PrEP and PEP. So let's talk about those. PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis. So if your partner is HIV positive or if you are high risk for contracting HIV, PrEP is available for you. Studies have shown that PrEP reduces the risk of getting HIV from sex by about 99% when taken daily. Talk about huge advancements in medicine. PEP or PEP is post-exposure prophylaxis. This medication is taken after a potential exposure to HIV. This needs to be started right away after exposure and every hour counts. It can be started up to three days after the exposure. So this is something that's done in medicine. You know, if you have an accidental stick, you might be treated with post-exposure prophylaxis. It's 28 days of once or twice a day medication. But there are options out there. So I think that is such a huge advancement from when 15, 20 years ago when I was learning about all of this. The prognosis in patients with untreated HIV infection is poor with an overall mortality rate of more than 90%. The average time from infection to death is 8 to 10 years when untreated. So getting treatment, knowing if you have HIV and getting treatment can make a huge difference. I read a statistic that the average lifespan is 78 years old for somebody who is getting treatment. So if you think about that, that's not really much decrease from the current life expectancy in the United States. So getting treatment is important. Getting tested so that you know if you need to be treated is also important. 
Something else that you should know is that when it comes to HIV-related health information, it is typically considered separate from other health information and may require a separate consent to share. This kind of provides a nice extra protection in place for HIV-related information. So that is always important uh, when it comes to talking about HIV and seeking treatment. You should know that you do have that other privacy protection. In summary, one in seven living with the virus are unaware that they have HIV. There are many new options out there for treatment and prevention. And with proper medical attention, someone with HIV can effectively have no viral load and significantly reduce the risk of spreading HIV. If you have not been recently tested, definitely schedule yourself an appointment to get tested or go Google the many online testing options available. Medicine continues to change and grow. In my lifetime, there has already been significant progress when it comes to HIV treatment, and I am absolutely looking forward to continued research and developments. So thanks for joining today. This podcast is sponsored by Pure Romance by Jordan Jones, offering top bath and beauty products and relationship enhancement items. Check out the link in the bio today to start shopping. Thank you for joining today and continuing to bring awareness to women's health. If you love the show, please subscribe so you never miss another episode and leave a review for others to see. If you want to see me on the daily, you can check out my bio for links to all my pages. Be sure to share this episode with your girlfriends. Thanks again and see you next episode.